This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. Are you enjoying this series and journey through the book of Revelation? Now, I just wanted to remind you guys, I told this to the guys in Potch when I started this, this series with them. You know, you and I, we have two shins, but there's only one book of Revelation. One, one revelation, two shins on your legs. Okay. Many people are like, hey, revelations. I read it in revelations. No, it's revelation. One, one, there's no S at the end of it. Uh, it's just an important thing for us. Just starting off, want to make sure we, are, we have the, 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 the things right. But uh, as we've been going through this journey, I'm sure you've been looking at, I'm hoping that you've been able to see just something of the bigger picture. Malcolm's done an amazing job. The first two, two sessions, first of all, laying a strong foundation for us, um, just around an overview of the book, then being able to talk to us about Jesus coming in between his church with, with a plumb line, saying, how are you measuring up to what I have called you to? Because if you and I are going to be able to endure some of the things that we know God is leading us into and part of this world, the brokenness that we experience, we had better be holding on to Jesus and we better be, be a bride that's being prepared uh, and that's in line with God's word and his purposes and plan. And last week, Ainsley spoke to us about the fact that we, we can enter into God's throne room. And in his throne room, there is worship happening, just as we've been singing. More than just singing, it's actually adoration. Uh, it is humility. It is, it is us coming into the presence of God, being in awe and in wonder. As God reveals to us, we respond in appropriate worship. And today we're going to be looking at, we're beginning to open up a little bit of the, like some of the scary stuff beginning to now unfold, you know. But I want you to see that you, you and I cannot move into the scary stuff, the tribulations and the, and the judgments and all the things that are yet to come if we don't have a strong, solid foundation realizing, first of all, that Jesus is Lord this book is not about those things as much as those things are being mentioned. It's actually about Jesus. Yes. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is seated on the throne. He is ruling all of the, the universe and cosmos. And all of the things that we'll be looking at that, that will unfold in the, in the kind of the, the ages of history and into the future of what we'll be experiencing, all of those things are based upon Jesus' desire to have a bride prepared for him. And a bride that's able to endure to the end. Not just for a little while, not while it's comfortable, not while it's uh, convenient for us, but actually that we are able to express the fullness of who God is and what God has for us. So today we're going to be looking at um, the seven seals, which is found in, um, in Revelation chapter 6, 7, and 8. You know, and uh, next week we'll be looking at the seven trumpets. And then we'll also be looking at the seven bowls. Now, all seven of these different things, I just want to put this into perspective for you, is many people think, so it's, is it going to be these seven things, and then seven different things, and then seven different things? No, it's actually the same things being described, just from a different angle. Remember, the book, book of Revelation is like a play that's being you know, outworked. And as, as one commentator said and preacher that I watched, uh, he says, you know, if you've ever been to a school play, you know, something happens, the uh, curtains open, you watch the first scene, then, the, the, then it's like kind of closes, and then you hear in the background, they're moving things around. 
all the kids are moving everything into place, and then they open it up again, and you're in the next scene. And the whole time we are seeing this, this picture of what's happening in heaven, what's happening in the spiritual realm, is outworked on the earth. And when we look at these three examples of the seven seals, the seven uh, trumpets, and the seven bowls, they are different things or different ways to describe the same thing. I want you to just to see that. I know it feels a little bit complicated, but I'm trusting as, as you read through the Bible, and especially as you read through the book of Revelation, that you would understand what God is wanting to say to you and I. It's amazing for me that, you know, John didn't write to a bunch of theologians. He wrote to some people who love Jesus. And, and for the people of Israel and for the believers certainly, they had a very clear understanding of the Old Testament, especially of the tabernacle, especially of God's, you know, specific symbolisms that God would build into the tabernacle in the same way you and I actually should get to a, a greater understanding of those particular symbolisms because it will help us understand some of the things we see here. Okay, so next week we're going to look at like the trumpets and, and there's going to be grasshoppers and I, I can guarantee you now they're not America's Apache helicopters <laughs> and they're not all sorts of funny things that, um, that many people have worked through. And I also want to encourage you just uh, in preparation and as an introduction that many of us I know in this world that we live in, there's a lot that's been written and spoken about all of these symbolisms. And today we're going to be looking at the four horsemen of the horsemen of the apocalypse. We're going to see, we're going to see, <laughs> we're going to see things. You can leave it there. Thanks, Baptist. Um, uh, we're going to see all sorts of things unfold. And I know many of us, I used to work in the Christian book um, you know, industry. And we'd sell books and stuff like that. And many of you have read, have read the Left Behind series. I want to remind you that those books were in the fiction section. Not in the non-fiction section. Okay, so the things that you've read in but left behind in the movies you've watched is stories. They've taken, yes, some inspiration, just like any artist would. But please, don't base your faith and what you are going to be experiencing on those particular instances. I really want to stress that, and um, I'm not going to say much more <laughs> about that before we get into all sorts of debates and things. So... In order for us to see the seven seals unfold, we have to understand that these seven seals actually are sealing a particular document called a scroll. Now, we see this in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And these seals... As many of you would know, from the, in the olden days, that's how they, they kept the letter closed. It was a bit of wax, and they would put the, the emblem, the seal of the ruler or the person who had the authority to be able to open it would be placed upon that so that someone would understand this is a very important document. And, and John realizes, listen, oh my word, nobody is worthy to open the scroll. What does the scroll represent? The scroll represents all of what would unfold in human history and God's purposes and plans, the destiny of the world is written in the scroll. But no one is worthy. And he says the following in Revelation 5 verse 4. He says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll to look into it. 
John's looking around, and, and I mean, as many people have done over the years, we've all tried to sort of see Nostradamus and different people try to prophesy what would happen into the future, but nobody could actually see, nobody was worthy or is worthy to be able to embrace or to see that. But there is someone who is worthy. In chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that ye can open the scroll and the seven seals. So friends, you and I need to understand that Jesus is the only one that's worthy of opening the scroll. And if there is ever any person in particular that we can trust or that has the authority or has the power over all of human history and destiny and the purposes of God, it is only Christ Jesus who is worthy of opening the scroll. And so when you and I come to this, we need to understand as a foundation that because Christ is worthy, we can trust in Him. And our destiny is secure if we are united with Him. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 22 to 23 says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor, honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Friends, this is so important. So many of us want to know what our, our futures hold, but we do not honor the one who holds our future. And it is the beginning point. It's the starting point for all of us. Can I encourage us? Can we, and I implore us to put our faith in Jesus, even though the world, as we see, will become quite turbulent. Can we hold our faith secure? Can we see that Jesus is the one that triumphs? He is the lion who triumphs over, but he's also the lamb that was slain. Why is he worthy to open the scroll? Because he was able to pay the price. He was able to pay the price. And these two images um, are quite interesting. And you cannot read the, the book of Revelation without having an imagination. Now when it says that Jesus is the lion, he doesn't all of a sudden become all hairy. And if it says he's a lamb, he doesn't become woolly and soft. These are images, these are pictures that help us to see the purposes of God. And so you and I need to understand that our destiny is held in Christ. So let's begin to look at the first four seals that are broken. And if you look at these seven things that happen, the number seven is very significant in the book of Revelation. It helps us to understand that it's the number of completion. It is full in its fullness. Uh, you and I, there's nothing that's going to be lacking, nothing that's also even going to be held back from us, from being able to be revealed. So our, our destiny is secure. But in the unfolding of this, the scroll is not like a book that you page through, but it's actually being rolled, unrolled. Little bit by little bit, we see how it unfolds. History and our future unfolds as God reveals it. And so these seven um, seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, they, they come in groups of four and then three, four and then three, four and then three. So you, you get that. I know some of your math guys are going, yes, I like this. Lots of numbers. I understand what's happening. Some of the arty guys are going, oh, I don't get it, bro. Just uh, tell, me, tell me the story. Tell me the story. So let's read together. 
Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 to 8 says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! He's calling, he's, he's beckoning. It's like God is saying, These things are going to unfold, they're beginning to happen, and God gives him permission. He says, Okay, these things can begin to happen. Come, and I looked, and there was a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and the crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the creature saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, a three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And when, I opened the, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice from the fourth living creature say, Come out. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, or some translations would say pale green horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Now, friends, I've got to unpack so much today. I'm not going to be able to go into all the details here. But I'm going to just give you a couple of nuggets that you can hold on to that will help you and I, I believe, stir up our faith and empower us to do. Now, if we look at these four horses, the first one is a white horse. And its rider has got a bow in his hand. And some, trans- or some commentators would say, oh, that's a picture of Jesus. No, my friends, it's not a picture of Jesus. It's actually deception. And what you and I need to see is that what we see here can't mean something different to us that it didn't mean to those that John was writing to at the time. And for the people of all ages, these four horsemen have, have been at work since time began, we see that this rider has a bow in his hand. And he comes to, to almost as, as, a, as a picture of, of peace, tranquility, unity. Let's bring everybody together, but actually he wants to exalt himself above the knowledge of God. If you and I go back into history, into the book of Genesis, there was a man by the name of Nimrod. He was one who... who who hunted with a bow. And he established the people who eventually built a massive tower called Babel. That was the birthplace of Babylon. And later on in, 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 in Revelation, we'll see that the spirit of Babylon would continue in this world. The Antichrist and all of the things that would exalt itself above God is actually based around the spirit of Babylon. And what does Babel do? Babel tries to unite, tries to say, let's, let's be God. We don't need God. Let's be God. Let's con- take control of things. Let's own the world. And so many people have come and will continue to come into this world pretending to be men of peace. Many who would want to bring together the whole world in unity. But you and I... Based on what we can see, Jesus revealed 
you and I can be mindful of these things. And therefore, in the church, friends, it's so important that we do not give ourselves to false teaching or false prophets that would arise. The second horse is the red horse, which represents war. And I mean, since time began, there would be almost, um, you know, there's been war going on nonstop. Someone tried to do a bit of the math just to see when was there ever peace on the earth. And, and I think they came to the conclusion that for every, after I don't know how many hours it is, maybe, maybe there would be 36 minutes worth of peace in the world at any given time in history. We've always been at war. And this is a reality that we see. The black horse represents famine. And we, it's interesting for us to see that throughout this world right now, the reason why I say these four horsemen are actually at work today is because there's places in the world where there are false teachers and pro, false prophets and false messiahs rising up. Hitler, just before the Second World War, he was welcomed as, as wow, this, this is the answer to all of Europe's problems. And within an instant, things changed. There's always been war happening all over the world today. There's also famine happening. And when you and I see this, this passage talking about a scale in his hand, saying that a quart um, of, of wheat will be for a denarius, or three quarts of barley for a denarius, what that means is, friends, a denarius in the Roman time was considered a day's wage. And when we would experience famine in this world, we would work for an entire day and all you would get is a little bit of food, maybe one meal. Barley representing is actually what they would give to animals to feed them. We would work so hard, but we would always have lack. And friends, in this world, we would experience that and we shouldn't be surprised when those things happen. And we should be praying for those who are undergoing even those experiences today, but we shouldn't be surprised by them. The fourth horse is the pale green horse, which represents um, sickness and death. And this picture, the reason why it's, the, it's called a, a pale green, you know, when, when someone looks a bit sick, you've, you've, seen, you've been to the theme parks, you know, when you go on those shells, the person's like, ooh, you can check their face, becomes a bit green, eh? It's that kind of look. Doesn't look very healthy. Not, neither of these, any of these horses are, are actually good ones that you want to have your, be your friends. But we see that sickness and disease and death follow this horse. And it says that we would see a quarter of the world population actually being taken out by sickness and disease. Now we've just come out of, a few years ago, a pandemic, a global pandemic. You know how many people died, estimation based on the World Health Organization, from COVID-19 related type of deaths. You know how many? About 3 million people. Now, you might think, well, Gareth, you know, you say like just about 3 million people. You know what is a quarter of the current world's population? 2 billion people. Very, 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 very different. And even though we may have experienced a small taste of what this horseman would, would bring, friends, there are some greater calamities that perhaps 
we should be prepared for. But you and I need to understand that this is nothing new. This is also not something that for, for the disciples they would have listened to and heard from John and gone, yeah, we've never heard this before. Because in Matthew chapter four, 24, this is what Jesus speaks. And Jesus says in, in verse 3 to 8, he says, And he sat, on the Mount, he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately. Tell us what will these things be, or when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They just like us want to know how things are going to pan out. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, the white horse. And they will lead many astray, and, the, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, the red horse. See that, no, that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of the birth pains. So you and I shouldn't be alarmed by these things, but we should be aware of it. And we should also be responding, and I'm trusting that God will help us to see things from His perspective and not get sidetracked either by our desire to say, well, yes, sir, I can't wait till I leave this place. Just get me out of here. Let me just remove myself. You know, at least I'm going to heaven. So I won't, none of these things are going to touch me, you know. No, 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 friends, we need to be prepared for them because at this very moment there are followers of Jesus that are experiencing great persecution, that are going through all of these things and yet their faith grows stronger and I want us as a church to be prepared for what God would want to bring us into. So those are the first four seals that are broken and opened up. The fifth seal is actually the martyrs under the altar. That's found in, in Revelation 6, verse 9 to 11. I'm going to read it for us. I'm reading the passages for us today because I believe you and I need to see and understand what the Spirit of the Lord's wanting to say to us. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. This unfortunately completely annihilates the prosperity gospel, which says give your life to Jesus and your life's going to be a-okay. This also annihilates the reality that you and I, when we give our lives to Jesus, would, ex would escape any form of tribulation or trial. Because God would empower us by His Spirit to stay. And this word martyr, friends, many of us, you know, this morning we would, we would talk about, you know, wanting to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. When Jesus speaks and He says, stay in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1, until you have received power that you would be my witnesses. That word witness, the Greek is the same word for martyr. 
So if we want to be filled with the Spirit, we need to say, Lord, empower us that we would be able to be witnesses even to the point of laying down our lives in death. I want to ask you and I, uh, where is your faith at at the moment? Where are you? How, I'm not asking how strong is your faith because I'm sure you know, I've experienced those moments when I'm like, I feel like, yes, Lord, to the ends of the I'm like, Peter, Lord, all of them, all of them, they'll desert you, but not me. I'm, I'm, I'm slow to say, Lord, that I, but I want to set my heart upon God and say, Lord, empowering me by your spirit. Let I may be able to be a witness, a martyr. That means a martyr may be at work where I say to a colleague, listen, I don't think I'm going to go with you guys to the, the, the weekend out with all the boys. Maybe to share with somebody, listen, maybe I'd love to pray for us. Can we pray in the morning before we start? I just want to dedicate this day to God. When someone arrives at, at work and they are sick or they have a, a trial or a challenge that they go through, would we be willing to offer the faith and the hope that we have to share it with them? Or are we so consumed and concerned with our own comfort? If there are martyrs in heaven praying and asking God for the end to come, and God is saying, no, there's, there's a, the reason why these people die is not in vain. It's actually so that my glory would be displayed. God wants us to, he wants to unveil his purposes and plans as he unrolls the scroll. But you and I have a role to play. Jesus obviously also promises us that we will see trials and tribulations. Matthew 24, again, verse 9 to, um, to 14, it says, Then they will deliver you up to the tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Friends, I don't want to be amongst those who betray one another, who fall away. I want to be steadfast to the end. And because of lawlessness, will, because lawlessness will increase. And, lo the, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures. How many times does God tell you and I through the scriptures to have perseverance? To stay steadfast. In Ephesians, when you have done everything to stand, stand firm. When we are faced with these trials and tribulations, for, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Friends, you and I have a part to play. We are not just spectators looking and seeing, wow, cool, that's nice, eh? Good rugby game. Ah, you missed, this, you missed there. Gave away a penalty again. I can't believe he dropped the ball. No, actually being able to say, I'm in the game. I'm involved. I'm engaged with what God is doing. And we see that the, 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 the martyrs, the saints that had gone before, they're not just in heaven worshiping. They're actually praying. And they're encouraging us in our day and our time today to be praying. Yes, for the end to come, but also to pray for those around us that we would remain steadfast. 
that we would, we would stay steadfast in the midst of persecution. That's the fifth seal. I want to encourage us, friends. I don't want us to miss what God is saying to us today. It's so easy for us to just glance over these things and go, sure, man, that sounds, sounds hectic, eh? At least I'm not going to hope I, hope I don't have to go through any of this. But then we'll just become just like some of the people that, that Ben described this morning. All the comforts in the world, but don't know God. We have access to the power and the presence of Jesus, and we do not share it with anyone. Friends, can we be a church that's empowered by the Spirit for that? The sixth deal represents cosmic catastrophes. Earthquakes, mountains falling, uh, all sorts of different things happening. And it says in, in, in Revelation 6, 12 to 17, it says, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black, sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter, uh, its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones, the generals, the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For great, the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? This is a picture for us to see that all of us will experience judgment. Slave, free, rich, poor, powerful, those who, who command armies and nations. All of us will come under judgment. And as you, if you've ever been taught the foundational doctrines that is found in Hebrews, when it talks about eternal judgment, there is a difference. The believer receives a judgment based on what we have done with the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to walk in. God is going to ask us, what did you do with my son? If, if Christ is your Lord, then he's going to test your works with fire. And what's going to be burnt up? Wood, hay, stubble, or straw? Or gold, silver, and precious stones, as, as Malcolm so beautifully unpacked for us in our second week. But friends, there is a reality that Jesus will judge. He will judge the world. And those who have not put their faith in Jesus, for them, they are going to beg to die. That's what they're asking for. Because they are so overwhelmed with the reality of God's holiness and justice. And as we'll see next week, judgment and mercy flow together. And at this stage, in this day and age, friends, if you're far from God, you and I can come and we can receive God's mercy based on the, the finished work of the cross of Jesus so that we would ex escape judgment. And it's my prayer that you and I, as Ainsley shared with us last week, in Hebrews, we enter the throne room of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace. I obtain mercy for my sins. I'm forgiven.
but I receive grace that I may be able to live in the power and the presence of God all the days of my life, even in the age to come. God wants no, none of us to experience judgment because His mercy is outworked and available for us today. Can we accept it and receive it? God wants you and I to experience that and to walk in that and to see that. Jesus, obviously, even in, in Matthew 24, again talks about these particular signs, earthquakes and, 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 and red moons and all of those types of things. But then there is this moment of, a, of an interlude. It's kind of things are intense. You're like, oh my word, look at all this. And this is going to happen. This is going to happen in the book of Revelation. And the next thing, chapter 7 happens. And then we see all these numbers. I don't know if you've, if you've looked, looked at that. Many people have read through chapter 7 and, and, and actually have gotten quite confused. There's actually a whole uh, cult religion that's been birthed based on this particular aspect of the 144,000. The Jews, the people that would enter into God's kingdom. Friends, once again, these numbers are symbols. They should not be read literally. What this number, these numbers represent? Seven represents completion. 144,000 represents everything, everyone. Because later on it shows us that there's a great multitude that's worshipping before the throne. What is that great multitude made up of? A bunch of Zulu and Kosa people? No. Afrikaners only? No. Everyone in this room, if we look around you, we are a representation of Christ's throne room right now. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, under heaven, worshipping the King of Kings. And that's something that we should be celebrating, friends. But that's also something that we need to contend for because this, this side of heaven, it's not easy. It's not easy because I don't always understand. I don't always see things the same way. But I believe it's God's way and it's God's will to bring us all into unity. It's also a picture of a unification of the body of Christ, the, 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 the capital C church, the larger church. And if I can just quickly make a comment about unity in the church. Unity in the church is not established or achieved when all denominations and all churches get together in one place. We had a united prayer meeting. The church is coming together. That's I think, is a expression, but it's not the expression. I believe unity happens when the entire church, all expressions and denominations or groupings or whatever you want to think and call, when everyone is on mission on one thing, preaching and proclaiming the gospel, doing what we see in the book of Acts expressed, seeking and saving the lost, bringing God's kingdom and ushering it in. So it's important for us to see that these in, 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 uh, in chapter 7 is really just talking about everything and everyone. And then in the beginning of chapter 8, we see that the seventh seal is opened. And it's quite a strange moment. It's all this activity, and we have this interlude in chapter 7, and then it says the following, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. It's as if, within all of this chaos, all of this turmoil, all of these expressions of, 
of man wanting to exalt himself and God's judgment coming upon the earth, that there is a moment of true peace and silence. There's also a moment, I believe, that helps us to see that, that if God says quiet, it becomes quiet. It's also a, a, a way in which God almost says, I'm just going to, I want to give you a moment of reprieve, a moment of, <gasps> I think we all need that. So many of us are often, you are striving and you're busy and you're trying to earn God's will and uh, pleasure and, and you want to experience God's presence and, and you're so at work but you're not taking a moment to say, Lord, speak your peace over me today. Can I speak that over you today? Because as the silence ends, we see the four angels coming with the trumpets and they begin to blow the trumpets. And we're going to be looking at what that looks like. And <laughs> I want to encourage you to join us next week as Murdoch unpacks it for us. So in closing, and kind of to wrap it all up, you might be asking, just as I have been, because I can tell you this week I have experienced no, not a little bit of resistance in preparation for this message because there's so much that God, I believe, wants to reveal. But what I realized as I reflected, the first thing perhaps that you and I can do, an action step, is that you and I need to just seek a deeper understanding of what God's wanting to reveal to us in His Word, especially in this book. Can we read it and read it and read it again and allow God to reveal to us that sense of security, that sense of peace, joy and hope and perseverance? Can we also seek to cultivate a, re a revelation and a re relationship with Jesus? Because if we can see all of these things unfolding, so much of it can instill fear in us and trepidation and Oh my gosh, that means, Gareth, so if I've got a business, I'm going to experience, might experience famine or, or lack, economic kind of recessions and crunches will happen. And I'm not going to be able to live at the same standard of living. Perhaps that is something that you and I would experience, we're even already experiencing right now. But in the midst of this, friends, are we, are we holding on to our comfort or are we holding on to our King? Are we looking to Him? Are we praying for others that they may experience Jesus? I also believe that we need to prepare. Not a bunker under your house <laughs> with blackies course and things for Armageddon that's coming. But we have to prepare our hearts. It says no matter what, Lord, no matter what I face, I want to remain steadfast. And you and I cannot do that on our own, friends. We need one another. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God's Word. We need a revelation of Jesus on an ongoing basis. But friends, if we and I know how it ends, why are we so slow at sharing the good news with others? That should be the thing that compels us. If I see someone's vehicle is, is, is headed off into a ravine, and I have the opportunity to warn them, why don't we warn people? And I'm praying for us as a church, friends, that we would have a greater urgency in sharing the gospel with people around us. 
that we would be intentional, that we would understand, as the saying goes, it's a bit of a cliche, but you know, hell is hot and time is short. God doesn't want any person to perish. And when it's within our means, within our ability to bring people into salvation, can we be intentional with doing that? And lastly, friends, that you and I would pray, just as the, the saints are praying right now in heaven, for the kingdom of God to come. God is holding back because His mercy is being displayed upon the earth. And when you and I pray, we are strengthened in our faith. When we pray, we see people far from God come to know Him. When we pray, we see God's love and grace outworked in the world that we live in. Can we be a church that seeks after God with all of our hearts? Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times, or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.